0: This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. We got a lot of football talk today, as we often do this time of year. Andrew Kramer will join me here in just a few minutes. He, of course, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. Film review, film doesn't lie um, with the Vikings. We're going to talk about a couple things. One on the offensive side of the ball, one on the defensive side of the ball, one why wasn't Justin Jefferson as open in this game against the Eagles where they lost twenty four seven as he was the week before when they beat the Packers twenty three to seven? We'll explore that. But maybe more to the point, we'll look at the defense and, you know, some of the things they were doing against Philadelphia that didn't work in the first half, and some interesting comments from corner Patrick Peterson, who For the most of his career has been a very good man-to-man corner and is now being asked to play a lot of zone. I believe the Vikings are playing the most zone coverage in the entire NFL. Yeah, the stat from uh, Kevin Seifert, old friend, he's with ESPN, used to be with the Star Tribune a long time ago. Uh, He tweeted the other day from ESPN Stats and Info, the Vikings have played the lowest percentage of man coverage in the entire NFL, just 7.7% of snaps. In cover two, they are forty-six point two percent, the highest rate in the NFL. So it's, you know, that's kind of going to be there the, the way they play. That's not a surprise given what Ed Donatel is liked to do over the years. But how is that going to play out for the rest of the year? Andrew and I get into that a little bit later on in the show. My good friend Keith shot also joins me for a poetic uh, recap of the Vikings and Eagles game. It was not, of course, pretty. First though, what did I miss? We got to get to the Twins just for a couple minutes here because I I, don't, I think that's about what they are worth these days. But the wheels continue to come off of this season. They lost again, five to four, to Kansas City on on Tuesday night. Eight games back of Cleveland now, with just fourteen to play. This isn't even a race anymore, as much as it is as a march. To the finish, the Twins now 73 and 75 on the season. I saw a pretty incredible uh, stat that put that into context of the other day from Aaron Gleeman, friend of the show, does a great job writing about baseball in addition to all the great stuff in the Star Tribune as well. But Aaron tweeted, uh, kind of taking a look at the at the Twins' season as a whole you know, they they reached 11 games over 500 after the big hot streak in May. On uh, May 24th, they were 27 and 16, 11 games over 500. Since that time, and you know, again, it wasn't, it was okay for a while in there, but since that time, they have gone 46 and 59. So basically for the last four months, they have gone 46 and 59. That is a 438 winning percentage. That is a pace over an entire season that would have you lose 91 games, and that is the larger sample size this season than the you know than the good you know month month and a half they had in that uh, that early part of the year. So keep that in mind as you think about the context of this season. I mean, and they can still finish up a little bit better. We can, they can you know win some games at the end of the year to add a little bit of window dressing to this, but I I hope they I hope that that gives the Twins brain trust a better picture of all that needs to be fixed because if if you're doing that while playing in the American League Central, the worst division in baseball, uh you you're you're in trouble. You 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 have more than just a few problems. And of course, injuries have told a significant part of the story at least in the second part of this season. We all know that. Those things are Seemingly beyond control, but also when you have a lot of them, you start to wonder: Well, is that something that can be fixed? Do they need to to try something different on that front as well? Because the way they seem to be, you know, resting players, holding players out, things like that, that's not helping. That doesn't seem to be the the thing that's going to keep them healthy. So, do they need to look at that? Do they need to look at some other things that they are doing organizationally? Um, in order to improve going forward, and in this game, you know, a good example of of that is some, some blunders along the way. Gilberto Celestino benched during the game for a couple of different blunders, including a base running mistake, including you know some some lack of hustle after an at bat that went poorly for him. So. If you're uh, if you're trying to take some positives out of the end of this season, I think you're mostly looking at some individual performances and not anything that's going on with the collective right now. And that's a tough thing to see, especially after they were in first place for so much of this season, but maybe this is good. Maybe the fact that they are the wheels have completely come off of this season and come off of this team is a good thing. Maybe that will help them have to take a longer look at all that they are doing right now and make some more serious changes than they would have otherwise. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there is an MGM near you. Head to mgmwineandspirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I've got Andrew Kramer here. He's barely slept, um, but that's okay. We, key, we can still talk Vikings. We can still get uh, get to the bottom of what happened Monday night. Um, the, their coverage from Philadelphia brought them into the wee hours of the morning and then, and then an early morning flight back on Tuesday. But uh, here is here is Andrew right now, and he's, he's watched a lot of this game back already. And, Andrew, I want to talk in particular about the defense, because that was a concern of mine coming into the year. And I think it was a fair concern just based on how, you know, the defense was probably the, the most suspect side of the ball in 2020 and 2021 brand new scheme, the three, four, a new coordinator brought in with, with Kevin O'Connell looked very good in, in kind of confusing Aaron Rodgers and, and making him hold the ball and not a lot going for the Packers and only allowing seven points in week one. This game was com- a complete turnaround, though, from, from what you saw, from what you heard. And I'll play a Patrick Peterson quote here in a little bit. But from what you saw and heard, what what was the difference? How was Philadelphia able to do what they did, especially in that first half?
1: Yeah, Jalen Hurts. I mean, it's, it's no secret to anybody who obviously watched the game, but Jalen Hurts played phenomenal. And it stands out even more so when you go back and watch this game. Because the way the Vikings played him, uh, it... It was remarkable the amount of times it was just the, the deep four shell, right? It was Harrison Smith and Cam Bynum, very deep back. It was the two corners, Patrick Peterson and Cam Dansler, very far back, about eight to 10 yards off the line of scrimmage at every single snap. And that basically forces an offense to dink and dunk. It forces you to be patient. It forces you to execute. It forces you to play clean football and march up and down the field. So what did the Eagles do? They marched 11 plays on the first drive, 87 yards, touchdown. Later on in the first half, they marched seven plays, 82 yards, touchdown. Later on in the first half, seven plays, 85 yards, touchdown. And then an egregious eight play, 75 yard, hurry up field goal drive right before halftime. That was just the first half. Yeah. And so that goes to show you that Jalen Hurts, Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni, the head coach said, okay. We will take what you were willing to give us, and we will continue to take it over and over and over. And the Vikings just didn't adjust and weren't willing to adjust in that facet. And then they still got beat deep on a 53-yard touchdown to Quez Watkins there that uh, I believe put the Eagles up 21-7. to So it was a style of play that the Vikings went into with this one, saying, we know you're really good at the run. We know you're, you're a very dynamic quarterback, but we're still going to try to take away the deep ball And the the bad part for the Vikings was they they couldn't do that to perfection either on Monday night.
0: Now, cornerback Patrick Peters, he's been around for a long time in this league and is going to offer some pretty frank diagnosis of of what happened. I'm going to play a couple different things from him. Let's start with the first one where he talked about basically like they part of the adjustment they need to make is to be further up on the receivers
2: uh, for the most part we just have to be uh, closer in coverage uh, I haven't watched the film yet so I can't really tell you uh, what the breakdowns were um, but for the most part we have to be closer in coverage on in on every aspect um, on the field and We have to be able to you know make them more predictable on second down or something that we wasn't able to do um, you know when a team gets second and short third and short the playbook is pretty much wide open and you know those guys did a great job of being successful on first down and kind of having us on our heels you know, throughout that game, but you know it's a good learning experience for us. You um, can, you know, it's only week two. Something that we can learn from, clean up the mistakes, um, and just come out next week with with a better with a better focus on you know our assignments and being dialed in at all times, so we can get a W next week.
0: So basically, him him saying they need to be up a little bit more on receivers. What does that say to you? Is that a, a scheme thing or is that a a, a guys not executing thing?
1: I think that's a coaching point thing. I, I think guys going into this and Peterson knows, you know, and he's making this transition to one of the more underwritten things about this defense this offseason is you're taking an all pro man to man press corner and Patrick Peterson, who did played a certain way for 10 to 11 years of his career. And now you're making him into an off zone corner, which is a very different thing. And so he's adjusting to this. And he saw all the cushion they were giving AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard. And he saw like oh, every Vikings fan who yelled at his, his or her TV last night and said, move up, move, stop giving him so much space. It was really that simple. And I think Patrick Peterson saw that and understood that that was, that was probably something he's, that is an adjustment he's willing to make. Vikings coaches clearly felt like we don't want to get beat deep. So we're going to continue to play it this far off. So to me, that's a coaching point and it's, it's just obvious watching the tape because Ed Donatell and his Viking staff did not adjust as Jalen Hurts continued to march up and down the field.
0: The other thing Patrick Peterson said, yeah, yeah I mean, he had a lot to say. He was pretty good post-game. I think uh, Ben Gessling, our colleague, had a lot of Patrick Peterson stuff in his second-day take on the Vikings as well, probably because Peterson is just you know really good at diagnosing good things, bad things. And the other thing he said was, you know, Philadelphia, it kind of created some mismatches. Let's let's hear that.
2: I think we made a you know some adjustments, you know, just not not the proper ones, you know, that we felt that we could you know put ourselves in better position, you know. But those guys did a great job of you know attacking you know some of the weaknesses of our defense, you know, especially that weak side, you know, weak side defender. We know those guys love to come back weak side, you know, especially when it's that when it feels try to isolate the linebackers. And that's something something that they did a really good job on, you know, trying to create those mismatches. You
0: no, know, so basically, if he's identifying that they're that they're seeing where the the mismatches are in the Vikings, or creating these mismatches, maybe on the weak side of the defense, kind of getting matchups on linebackers. Um, you know, it, it's got to be frustrating for a player, I'd imagine, to watch that as it unfolds. What What did you see as you watch this back? Is this simply a matter of? style of play then creating like some of those shallow crosses things like that or, or hurts just you know beating them up and down the field
1: so one thing the Vikings did do defensively in the first half was around the third scoring drive of the Eagles so this might have been the second quarter they decided to go into a 335 defensive sub package which basically takes Jordan Hicks off the field if you imagine the normal um, package it takes Jordan Hicks their ba- the normal base defense I should say. So you got five down linemen across. You got the two inside linebackers back there. Take one of the inside linebackers out, replace them with a nickel corner. That's what the Vikings did for their nickel package. So they basically decided to keep an extra edge player, defensive lineman on the field up front by Jalen Hurts, seemingly to try to corral that running game, while also trying to keep the coverage in the back with the five defensive backs, kind of stretching them thin a little bit, right? So what the Eagles did, was they decided, okay, we're going to go spread, empty backfield. We're going to go five wide. And that means we're going to force one of our guys who goes wide, we're going to force one of your edge players, whether it was DJ Wanham, Daniel Hunter, Patrick Jones, we're going to force one of them to cover one of our five eligible receivers. And they did that multiple times when it came to a 19-yarder to Devonta Smith on DJ Wanham, when it came to a 16-yarder to Devonta Smith on Patrick Jones. That's the exploitation that Patrick – Peterson was talking about, and that helped them march down the field. I think it would have been the Eagles' third touchdown drive that ended in the 26-yarder uh, scramble by Jalen Hurts for his uh, rushing second rushing touchdown of the night. So they were basically just saying, "We're going to line up and go at your defensive ends that you wanted to keep on the field in the passing game. We're going to attack them, those guys that you wanted to help in the running game."
0: Now I'll get to the offense here in a minute, but that maybe the final point on the defense is obviously you're not going to face a quarterback like. Jalen Hurts every week. I mean, he creates some unique challenges that we talked about going into this. I mean, next week, Jared Goff does not stress your defense the way that um, Jalen Hurts does or Aaron Rodgers does. Even he's just a different, less mobile quarterback. But you are going to face, you know, stylistically, you're going to face guys eventually that that you know they can beat you a couple of different ways that you have to account for. Even someone like Justin Fields has a little bit of of that to him when he wants to. Um, how do they then avoid having other teams just do these same things to them? How do they then kind of counter whatever was going wrong in this case?
1: Well, this is a unique challenge. Yeah. Detroit can't necessarily do what Philadelphia just did because Jared Goff is not the kind of mobile threat. Right. And so that's, that's why some of these things are not going to be issues every single time. They're just going to be issues when you face Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Jalen hurts, these kind of mobile quarterbacks. Um, that's not to say that they don't have issues in coverage. There were times where, like, for instance, on that hurry-up drive, the field goal hurry-up drive before halftime, uh, Cameron Dancer was just beat on a comeback route for 18 yards to Devonta Smith, where, I mean, that's just a normal thing that any pinpoint-accurate quarterback can do to you. And that, that's the kind of vulnerability that the Vikings still have, is that when you have a great wide receiver core, like Philadelphia has, and you have a pinpoint quarterback like Hertz is throwing – he still showed you some ways that you can take advantage of this very soft zone defense that the Vikings are running. So I think the Vikings can maybe learn a little bit from it and and try to play up more like Patrick Peterson was talking about and take away some of those underneath things. Uh, If not, they're going to have to live with giving up X amount of passing yards a game and just embrace this bend, but don't break philosophy that they kind of try to embody on defense. So, but the stuff that we're talking about, the mismatches, the throwing on edge rushers. That's a unique thing, specific to hey, we're going to try to be heavy to stop this mobile quarterback while also try to take away the, the passing game. That's very hard to do. And
0: that makes sense. And, you know, the offense, you know, sorry, the, the defense giving up 24 points in the first half puts them in a spot where they're probably throwing more than they necessarily wanted to. The running game doesn't really get on track. I mean, Dalvin Cook. Uh, he didn't, I mean, they, they wound up with, I think 25 rushing yards from their running backs in the entire game throwing more, they're getting more to get some pressure on Kirk cousins. Cause you're an obvious passing downs that said, even throughout that whole game, I think they got like 264 total yards of offense. And you know, those, those interceptions in Eagles territory, notwithstanding all three of them in the second half, all three of them inside Philadelphia's 30, one of them set up by that block punt, one of them set up by an interception. Um, you know, I want to roll a quote from Justin Jefferson here. We
2: definitely had plenty of opportunities to score the ball and make something shake, uh, carry the momentum to our side, but, uh, we didn't execute on the offensive side. Uh, I feel like defense definitely played a a good game, gave us the ball a couple of times and we just couldn't finish.
0: Andrew, do you agree with that? Was this more a case of, you know, Jefferson saying they had opportunities, but didn't execute is, is to me it didn't seem like it was so much of a case of had opportunities didn't execute they just uh, throughout the game they just kind of seemed a little bit overmatched and, and whatever they were trying to do to get open they just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of that separation there that we were seeing in the Packers game
1: yeah Philadelphia did not seem as caught off guard by some of the things the Vikings were doing maybe a product of that is getting your offense on tape for the first time and and Uh, Eagles coaches having something to prepare for based on, you know, and Packers coaches having nothing to prepare for going into that one. I think that was certainly a factor of it. One, another factor was the Eagles defensively dictated more of what they wanted to do than the Packers did. The Packers played defense much like the Vikings did in this one against Jalen Hurts. It was very just kind of off, you know, we're going to let you dictate what you want to do, but we're just going to stay back here and make sure you don't uh, break open too many big plays. Um, the Eagles instead said, no, we're going to kind of creep up a little bit more. We're going to put Darius Slay on Justin Jefferson. We're going to move him around on the outsides. Um, they were able to move Jefferson into the middle, get him away from Darius Slay, but the the Eagles did a good job of communicating, passing off routes and, um, at times doubling Jefferson when he did move inside. So they had good adjustments for that in ways that the Packers seemingly just didn't want to try to prepare for. (laughs) Right. So Um, But I think Jefferson tried to downplay Darius Slay's impact on this game, but it was huge. It was huge because when you look at six catches on 12 targets, five of those six targets that didn't make it to Justin Jefferson were either intercepted or batted down by Darius Slay. So it it just goes to show you that this guy had a huge impact on the game, um, played very, very, very well for, for Philadelphia. It was a big reason why they won.
0: A um, couple other points for you, Andrew. One, Adam Phelan's had a pretty quiet start to the season. I and mean, part of that is game one. Justin Jefferson had such a huge impact that there's only so much, you know, so many passing yards to go around, especially when you run the ball a lot in the second half. But you know, even in this game, in, in 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 all those cases, it doesn't seem like he's getting a ton of separation. It doesn't seem like there's there's a whole lot that that's been you know that they've been able to to develop beyond Jefferson so far this year. I mean, Irv Smith caught the touchdown pass, but he got open and then dropped a the long ball. KG Osborne, you know, caught a couple balls, but it's for 25 yards. Um, again, we're two games into a season with a brand new regime. With that said, should, um, should they be concerned or should they be working on, you know, kind of, Hey, if we think we have a lot of offensive playmakers, we haven't really seen much of that as outside of Justin Jefferson so far. And some of these secondary, you know, playmakers need to get more involved in the act.
1: Yeah, they really went into this one trying to make Irv Smith um, a factor. He had five targets on his first 15 snaps in the first half, and that that's an incredible rate that speaks to, like, this was on purpose. The coaching staff went into this, tried to get Irv Smith the ball. Um, therefore, Adam Thielen gets kind of left by the wayside, and Thielen really has been left by the wayside throughout these two games to open up. I think part of that is the lion's chair that Justin Jefferson is going to continually get. Um, I think another – Part of that is this coaching staff trying to um, get more people involved. I mean, when you look at this, Kirk Cousins, I know he threw 46 passes on Monday night, but he targeted, I think, eight, nine different people. Um, This isn't one of those, hey, we're just going to get our four guys that we like and just kind of scheme things up and design the ball. They're trying to spread it around a little bit. Is that the smart way to go? I don't necessarily know. I think you got three really, really, elite skill level players, Jefferson, Thielen, and Cook. And maybe they might want to shorten the rotation a little bit to, to get Thielen more involved.
0: I think last point for you, Andrew, I think most people would rationally say the Vikings aren't as good as they looked in week one and probably weren't as bad as they looked in week two. That said, I think you can probably take something from the sum total of that and say, what of what of especially you saw Monday, what of that is particularly concerning as you think about the rest of the season, what do you think of it gets smoothed out? Did you take one thing, one particular thing, maybe especially on the idea of uh, this is, you know, if this wasn't a problem in week one, it really wasn't week two, and it could be in weeks three, four, five, and beyond.
1: Yeah, I think it's the adjustments for for defensive coaching, right? And wanting to make sure that your veteran defensive players are on the same page as you and what you want to do. Uh, Don't want to have comes... a
0: mutiny, Andrew. Don't want to have a <laughs> mutiny.
1: <laughs> you are doing that. So when you got a three-time All-Pro corner coming out in week two and saying, I think we should have done this differently when it came to a coaching point, it stands out. And I think that's one of the things where as soon as they face a little adversity defensively, there's going to be some differences in opinion on how they Mm -hmm. should go moving forward. And so I think moving forward, that is one thing I'm very curious to see is, do they get everybody on the same page to uh, play defense the way that Ed Donatel in this group wants to? And I think they're going to be offenses that are able to exploit them a little bit. I think Philadelphia is an extreme version of it. I think Philly, they caught Philly at a point where Jalen hurts is playing as well as he's ever played. And that offense is healthy and very talented right now. So um, I don't think we're going to, I don't think the sky's going to be falling every week when it comes to this Vikings defense, but if they want to go, you know, as far as they want to go and win a playoff game and so forth, um, they're going to have to figure out philosophically is this the way that this personnel can, can operate on defense? Is This the way they want to operate. Um, they got some stuff to figure out when it comes to that.
0: They do indeed. Well, maybe a little bit reprieve with the lions. I think the lions have scored like 71 points so far this year. So maybe they're not the, uh, the pushover they used to be.
1: That's just it. When you look at this lion's offense, i Ross St. Brown, Deandre Swift, who was only got seven touches. yet he put up 80 some yards and a touchdown last week. This lion's offense is a really great offensive line. Basically, every spot with the quarterback you look at and be like, that's a really good offense. So, it, and they can still surprise you clearly if they're averaging 32 points a game so far.
0: Andrew, good stuff. Appreciate it. We'll be back at it again uh, probably next Tuesday and until uh, then get some rest and uh, go, go crunch those numbers again. It sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Bring in my good friend Keith Rashad right now, award winning author of the book my least favorite team is my favorite team about the vikings we call that this segment the same thing we got some uh, some groundbreaking uh, evidence last week keith we had some positive feedback on this segment somebody said they really appreciated the uh, i hate the packers part of last year, uh, last week's segment
3: that was the first piece of positive feedback <laughs> that we have ever gotten for this stupid segment <laughs> I'll, I'll take
0: it i'll take it in in private i've gotten uh, i've gotten some good feedback as well but it's been the uh, that was the first piece oh yeah, of public yeah. in private
3: i've gotten plenty of good feedback too everybody <laughs> loves it
0: know what i'm saying but uh you know anyway <laughs> um on this segment this year uh we are only delivering you vikings haikus only of the finest quality and if they're going to be of the finest quality uh Keith, they're going to stand in stark contrast to the play on the field um Monday night when the Vikings lost 24-7. Andrew Kramer and I have already gone into the nitty-gritty of the film, the details of some of what went wrong. I would prefer now though to hear the more poetic version of of our feelings about this. So yes, sir, please can I have the first of your haikus?
3: Okay, number one. All right. Glad I really cleared my throat for the sure everybody appreciated that. Yeah. All right. Number one. Philadelphia. Completely embarrassing. Burn it to the ground.
2: Mm.
0: Wow. Burn what to the ground is my question. The city of Philadelphia. The whole city? The
3: whole thing. The whole thing, right? Just start There's over? There's no redeeming qualities about the city of Philadelphia whatsoever. Right. Yeah, these people, oh, well, it's the birthplace of American democracy. Well, where's that gotten us? Just strike one. Okay. Strike okay. one, I say to that. Yeah, people's like, oh, ooh, we love the cheese steaks. Well, yeah, a, a country that is designed... Dying of heart disease absolutely needs more cheesesteaks. I don't think so. But what about their rich sports heritage? The stupid Eagles wouldn't have a Super Bowl were it not for the fact that Mike Zimmer's defense did not come through yet again, right? The Phillies are the Cubs without the charm, Yeah. right? The 76ers wasted Dr. J uh, and could only squeeze out one championship there, and the Flyers – Ruined hockey in the mid-70s by trying to beat everybody up.
0: The goons, the, the broad street bullies. Is,
3: yeah. The whole thing is just pointless, and we should burn that city to the ground, salt the earth, and never speak of it again.
0: We at Daily Delivery do not condone arson in any way. That was a figurative, um, metaphorical statement. I think maybe you want to burn that game film to the ground, though, because it wasn't good.
3: No, no, not at all. And I've got a, I got a question for you. Yeah. So which version of the Vikings do you more believe? The one that we saw in week one or the one that we saw in week two?
0: That's a good question. I mean, they were so different. It's hard to, I mean, the wishy-washy answer is that I think pretty obviously they're not as good as they were in week one and they're not as bad as they were in week two. But if you point blank asked, which are they closer to or which do you think is more indicative of kind of what what they'll do this year. I, uh, I, I, I maybe, unfortunately, lean towards what we saw in Philadelphia just because I wasn't all that high on them coming into the season, but I do think that they are miles apart from either one of those teams. It was about as bad as you could be. And, you know, and we should say this, too. they uh, they're, they're undefeated this season when their opponent drops a sure touchdown, and they are winless this year when they drop a sure touchdown.
3: Oh, I've got a haiku about that. Oh, let's hear it. Oh, Irv Smith Jr., is your thumb still hurting you? Please catch the football.
0: Yeah, that was a was it twenty one seven? I think at that point it was like yes. a second second and long. Um, you no know, good good play design. Seemed like you know they. I think Jefferson and somebody else might have ran deep. Um, you know, kind of cleared out the field on the other side. And they're probably expecting Smith not to go that far because he's a tight end, but he's a tight end that functions kind of like a receiver. Wide open, good throw by Cousins. It's, it's right there. And it's like, it wasn't even just like off the fingertips, it was like in the arms, in the hands, and then it just falls to the ground. That almost certainly would have been six. It certainly would have gotten them down very deep. And that's, you know, an undeniable turning point in the game.
3: So, okay, let me ask you another question. Then. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Now we've who's been, asking the questions? Yeah. Who's the journalist here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've been hearing a lot, and, and there's been, I guess, understandable hope for Er Smith for what, three or four years now. He had a productive first year. He's been injured a lot. Uh, there hasn't been the production that has gone along with the, let's just call it hype for the time Correct. Um, when do we give up hope? for this particular player.
0: I mean, not, not now. I think, well, I think what you have to see is a full season where he's healthy, because I, I think you're right. that The production hasn't matched the, you know, the kind of optimism about, it. I mean, you look at him and he's got all the tools and when he's been healthy, he has been a reasonably productive player. And he's the kind of tight end that you look at and say, he, he gives teams the matchup problems you want from a tight end. He's fast. He's, he's, he's physical enough. He can get open in different ways, but I think if you get to the end of this year and he's been relatively healthy, but you look at it and you say, ah, you know, he just, he's, he's more of a, you know, he's an average tight end. He's not one of these guys that you're going to feature in your offense. That's when you start to say, okay, combine that with the fact that he's inevitably going to get injured again at some point, then you got to say, is this really the long-term answer at tight end? What do you think?
3: It wasn't just that touchdown drop or what would have been a touchdown We can imagine, right? There were at least two other times in the first half when they tried to go to him on third down and he couldn't make the catch. He couldn't make the play, couldn't get separation or just couldn't fight his way through it. And so I am beginning to question whether or not he is everything that we had hoped he would be or that we're told that he can bring to the table. And he just certainly did not have a very good first half, that's for sure.
0: No, and I've made this point on this show and I think on Axis Vikings. Like he came into the year with like 66 career catches, something like that. Like they're putting an, when you lump him into the, oh, they've got Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, and Irv Smith Jr., he he felt out of place to me in that grouping to begin with in terms of accomplishment. So he still has a long way to go in my mind before we put him in that category.
3: All right. I feel some more poetry coming out of this. So let me give you a number three here. Okay. I am an old man i went to bed at halftime don't you dare judge me (laughs) Well, he didn't miss anything the score
0: was the same at the end of the game as it was at halftime i mean all you missed were three kirk cousin kirk cousins interceptions from inside philadelphia's 30 yard line which just would have made you so full of rage that you might not have been able to get to sleep and i'm not judging you 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 know you're on you're on the east coast so you you you're eastern time zone at least you've got you know that that game at halftime is probably sitting at what, like ten o'clock your time?
3: Yeah, it was. It so, was, and when the alarm goes off at five thirty the next day, uh, you got to get the kid to school. And, you know, I am. I'm an old man. Uh, I am tired. I'm. I'm a single dad, as has been established. Right, this stupid world makes me in perpetual need of a nap. Yeah. And so I was not going to stay up for the second half of that awful, awful ridiculousness that I don't even know how to describe. And I've seen a million times with this team.
0: What would you have done if it had been like a competitive game that they were playing well? Say they're up like 17, 13 at halftime. Would you have still gone to bed or would you have toughed it out?
3: That's a that's a tough one. But luckily, since it's Kirk Cousins on Monday night, I'll never have to find out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> tough but fair. All right, what's, the, what's your fourth one?
3: Okay, fourth one. Fourth and last one for this week. Okay. Fire O'Connell. I'm not overreacting. You are, you big jerk.
0: <laughs> First loss, and you're going to fire the guy. That is that is rough. That's that's tough. But, you know, what? maybe that does um, – it, it's it's kind of funny because it, that does speak to how, how much this swings up and swings down. Even my own opinion of this team has swung up and swung down um, already like, a few Calcutta times Clipper? this year. Like, you know, two months ago, I was thinking this was like a 10-win team, and then before the season started, I'm like – now this feels like more like a seven win team. Then they beat the Packers and you're like, ah, you know, everybody's excited. Now they lose to the Eagles. It's like the NFL, probably sometimes we need to calm down and, uh, and not, uh, not fall for the hype or the, uh, the, the, immediate reaction. But I don't know if, if they, if they lose at home to the lions next week, um, then there's going to be some muttering. There's, I, I felt like this Philadelphia game was a game where they had more to gain than they did to lose. I feel like it's the opposite against Detroit. They've got more to lose than they do to gain. You are expected to beat Detroit. If you lose that game, then the questions start to come out.
3: First of all, you totally missed the Denny Green joke because you just had to talk so much on your own podcast. You don't get enough airtime, right? Talking about swinging up, swinging down. Well, I'll cut a clipper. I'll cut a clipper. Second of all, you know, the idea of firing O'Connell after two games is, of course, ridiculous. right? Right. But I will say, and this is something we talked about last time too, that there he's engaging in some tendencies that I'm finding particularly annoying. And it's really about the end of the first half. Right. The way that he coaches the end of the first half makes it seem like he's playing a video game as opposed to actually coaching the team. Interesting. So the last week it was it was the whole you know. What even was it last week?
0: It was week, the clock management and trying to, get, trying to squeeze more points out of a half where it seemed like they probably should just go in All and right. be happy.
3: They should have just kneeled down, and they ended up punting away to the Packers and, and probably wasn't going to end up in much, but, but that's still an opportunity for your opponent. This week, it's third down, right? And yeah. the Eagles looked content to run out the clock. You are already down. You may as well just let them run out the clock. But no, he's so convinced that he and Kirk Cousins can squeeze out some points at the end of the half, just like last week that he calls the timeout on third down. The Eagles get the first down and then proceed to march further down the field to add the field goal on top of it. And so instead of just letting the clock die, he's almost the, the, the bizarro Zimmer. Yeah. And trusting his offense so much that he was willing to let the Philadelphia have another opportunity on that third down when they had been destroying his or his defense all half long. And it ends up biting him in the butt. Right. And so I am getting a little concerned with what I'm beginning to see as an overconfidence in his abilities as an offensive coach in a way that really mirrors what we saw with Mike Zimmer on the defensive side,
0: especially for someone who's averaging 15 points a game through two games. Okay. I've yeah. got a haiku for you.
3: Oh, um, I can't a, wait.
0: The thing about Kirk, you can always count on this. He wins. He loses.
3: <laughs> he yeah. runs,
0: he hits, he
3: fields. <laughs> <Bitches>. <laughs> yeah. You you know, I think I asked the question, do you think this is more like the first week or more like the second week? I think this team is exactly the exact same. It's right in the middle. It is absolutely the middle. You're going to have the same thing, eight and nine, nine and eight, whatever it's going to be. It's going to be the exact same as last year. They're going to look great some games. They're going to look terrible some games. They look great last week because Aaron Rodgers decided not to throw to wide receivers anymore. Correct. They looked terrible this week because they couldn't adjust to a quarterback that knows how to actually run around on the field a little
0: bit. Yeah. And Jalen Hurts was pretty good.
3: He was very good. (laughs) He was very good. But this, yeah, this team is just, um, it's going to be the same thing. And they need to finally figure out that they need to make some serious changes with the personnel if anything's going to change. Otherwise, we're going to be doing this exact same thing for who knows how.
0: For as long as Cousins is probably here because he is 60, 60, and 2 as a starter now in his career. He never strays far from 500. That is just who he is and who the Vikings have been when he has been their quarterback. My goodness, that was a lot of football talk, but a lot of good football talk. And that's what we do here during the NFL season. Uh let's finish with the cooler quick. Anthony Edwards fined $40,000 by the NBA for using homophobic language um on social media the other day. Um dropping the bucket. Uh, I, I I they they need to do something. I think that's that's good that they've done something at least but you know I think Jim Suhan like I've talked about had a good column a few days ago that that you know Anthony Edwards needs more than just a fine. He needs to make sure that this is something that's not part of his you know not part of his everyday thinking, uh, make sure that there's a new way of thinking for Anthony Edwards that comes out of this. And I can certainly hope that that is the case. Um, Chris Hine, our beat writer, also had a great piece uh, where he caught up with Cheryl Reeve about this situation and how hurtful it was personally to her. So if you haven't read those pieces, go back and look at it and just think about this situation in its broader context and how Anthony Edwards needs to grow as a person. That will do it for today. Good stuff coming up on Thursday show. I'm expecting to have Jason Gerwin from the Streamable to talk about some very interesting Bally Sports North developments as well as some NFL Sunday ticket stuff. He is an expert on those things. You guys are all interested in those things, so that should be fun. Also, Mariano Marin will join me from the Gophers football team. An interesting story as well. One of the best players on a very good defense and a great backstory. Just a very interesting guy that I really enjoyed catching up with, so I hope you enjoy that on Thursday's show as well. That's it for today. We'll catch you again on Thursday.